Welcome to BIV Today, the daily business news podcast from Business and Vancouver newspaper and BIV.com. I'm Tyler Orton. Retail Insider's Craig Patterson joins us today to offer an update on Tim Horton's global expansion plans, as well as how U.S.-China trade wars could leave Canadian consumers paying higher prices. And we're going to top it off with maybe a discussion on how deliveries must be made easier for shoppers. Uh, Could drones figure into the picture? That's going to be up for debate in just a few moments. But before we get there, BIV is hosting the Talking Ride Sharing with Lyft event, May 29th at Van City Theatre. For more information on this event, as well as more of our offerings, go to BIV.com slash events. Let's go ahead and talk to Craig Patterson. And with us now, it is Craig Patterson, Editor-in-Chief at RetailInsider.com. Craig, thanks for joining us on the show. Thank you for having me. Okay, so I think we all know that trade wars are afoot between the United States and China. And this week, Best Buy's outgoing CEO cautioned that consumer prices could likely go up as a result. We also know that Walmart cautioned the same thing last week. Craig, do you think that there is a risk that Canadian consumers might be swept up in all of this as big American companies look to maybe defer costs that will be incurred as a result of these tariffs going up? Oh, that's a good question. Um, it's possible. Uh, you know, companies, uh, you know, a lot of these are, well, they're American companies. I know there is a Best Buy Canada, which is a separate division. Um I'm expecting that at some point, uh, yes. I mean, if this uh, situation continues, we may see some increased prices here in Canada as well. Uh, it would be interesting, if you think about it, if we were to have considerably, say, lower prices on certain items that weren't uh, you know, subject to the same tariffs as the United States. Uh, you might have a lot of Americans coming shopping in Canada, you know, be it online or otherwise. I don't know if that would be necessarily possible, but... Uh, you know, it, it remains to be seen. I mean, this is kind of, uh, I don't want to say unprecedented, but it, it sort of is. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, potentially a very, uh, um, you know, large business situation. Yeah, I remember growing up, you know, say back in the 90s, you would go cross-border shop and you're guaranteed to find cheaper prices on most products down in the States than you would in Canada. And then something kind of happened. Uh, it looks as if I, I took a recent trip down to the States and I noticed that you could actually find a lot of better deals in Canada based on the exchange rate for sure. Is it just kind of one of those things that we're still getting adept to at determining where the prices are going to be and whether that's going to open it up for maybe more cross-border shopping from Americans coming up to Canada for certain items? It remains to be seen or whether or not, you know, some Americans may not have passports to travel so they may, you know, shop online. Um, the cross-border shopping is interesting because, you know, at some point we may see more of a reversal. You know, Americans are coming to Canada to shop and with the low Canadian dollar and whatnot. So, you know, in some categories, Canada might actually be a bargain for Americans to come shop at. And we have, you know, much better shopping than we certainly did 10 years ago. And that includes off-price. And I think that a lot of Canadians aren't necessarily going down to the States to shop like they used to. Uh, maybe for gas, however. <laughs> yeah, no, that's totally true. Uh, I'm taking a, 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 I just took a trip down to the States. And of course, I uh, filled up on uh, more than a few tanks of gas. Maybe if I had some jerry cans with me, I would have filled those up too. But uh, look, uh, I brought up Walmart just a second ago. 
And right now, Retail Insider, you guys have a piece up on your website that's discussing the urgency Canadian grocers face in making deliveries, especially in the wake of, say, Walmart announcing free two-day shipping for American customers, allowing them to better compete with Amazon. So it all kind of goes down to that Amazon effect. If Amazon's offering all this great shipping opportunities, it's putting pressure on other companies and consumer expectations are shifting right now. Tell us why this is so important with, say, the grocery industry here in Canada. Grocery is interesting because we're seeing uh, this movement towards delivery of grocery. And not everyone is going to want all of their groceries delivered. Some people still like to pick out the produce and whatnot. But uh, I think that, you know, uh, grocers are competing. Uh, they're saying that they want to offer the most convenient options to consumers. And then I think consumers now are kind of seeing how easy it is <laughs> in terms of being able to they order online or even just order something and then go and pick it up in the uh, retail location. That would be more for people that would have vehicles and would do sort of a click and collect is what you'd call it. So um, it's interesting because, you know, if you think about it, grocers have developed their strategies based on uh, physical locations and where they are and where their demographic is. And uh, if you start delivering groceries all over the place, that becomes a little less relevant. And the question is, you know, what to do with all of that real estate if uh, grocery delivery becomes mainstream and they're fulfilling these orders through, or they could fulfill these orders through a warehouse. So it's, I think it's a really interesting time for grocery because in the future, the question might be, do we need these gigantic uh, grocery stores that we have? You know, like the real Canadian superstores, some of them are, you know, well over 100,000 square feet each, and that's a lot of space. Yeah, you probably build some condos there, at least in Vancouver, with the uh, few locations that we have that are taking up just mounds and mounds of acreage. Yeah, and then on top of that, you know, we still wonder whether or not uh, self-driving vehicles are going to be a thing of the future and if we're even going to need all those parking lots. So it's going to be really interesting times. I think we're in for a societal shift in how we live, shop, and work, and, and pretty much everything. And, uh, you know, whether or not... Uh, self-driving cars and drone delivery become, uh, you know, the two of the next big things. The way that we transport ourselves around cities could be quite a bit different. And we may see fewer, we may, yeah, we may see fewer people driving their own, you know, say vehicles, gas-powered vehicles through the city, uh, you know, in the, in the next five to 10 years to come. Well, you, you brought up drone delivery just a second ago. And BIV, we, we do have a story up on drone delivery here in Canada. But what's your take on it right now? The goal here is to make this as convenient as possible, especially for some of those locations that are way far out there. But just in terms of uh, possible adoption or even the regulatory regime, I don't know. Where are you at right now? Do you think Canada still has a long way to go before drone delivery becomes mainstream? I think so. Uh, my understanding is it is being uh, tested uh, in certain, you know, smaller rural and uh, uh, small town markets. And I believe there's some tests actually with some retailers in British Columbia. But uh, it's fairly high level and I think it's fairly new. I mean, I don't think drone delivery is going to solve the problem of uh, last mile delivery is what they call it, getting it from the uh, wherever to the person's home. Uh, you know, it, I mean, if you live in, say, a high-rise in the West End in Vancouver, for example, and uh, you don't have a balcony, it's not going to be very uh, convenient to have a drone somehow try to drop a package down. But you never know. I mean, I'm sure that, uh, well, I know there are so many you know, potential innovations out there from companies. Uh, you know, there may be drop-off points. I'm not sure, but I think that, you know, these are all problems that are in the process of being solved. Uh, but nevertheless, I don't know. I mean, I would really hope that there's... Uh, provisions so that you know drones get hit don't get hit by planes or lord only knows what i mean I'm sure, I'm sure there's complexities there and i don't know the ins and outs of the, the airspace other than you know that this could be an issue 
But if we take it back to the Amazon effect, and let's say Amazon is the driving force behind this, do you think that means just inevitably a lot of the other big retailers are also going to be hopping on board? And that's going to be maybe the, the big driver behind making this more of a mainstream a service and expectation among consumers. Well, yeah, I think the big companies are going to drive the innovation and uh, just because they've got the money to do it. And at some point, uh, you know, other retailers that you know, are keen to compete and survive will try to jump on board somehow, provided that they can make it work, you know, with, you know, numbers and whatnot. Uh, I whether or not they even have access to drone delivery, but uh, probably at some point, you know, companies like Perlator, FedEx and whatnot, you know, they would somehow get on board with something like this. So, you know, they would be able to offer this to other retailers as well. But I don't know. I think we're a few years away before we start seeing anything like this uh, move into the mainstream in Canada anyways. Well, I got another question for you on groceries just before we move on to our next topic. But uh, you mentioned the possibility of, look, the real estate of it just kind of disappearing or at least shrinking to a certain degree if, you know, say deliveries or the uh, click and uh, capture or uh, click and collect become more mainstream. I don't know about you, Craig. I, I kind of like going to the grocery store. I kind of like wandering around, uh, seeing what's there. Just, I don't know, it's maybe an excuse to get out into the neighborhood and uh, see what's going on. Oh, no, I agree. And I still shop at physical grocery stores myself as well. So, um, But I do think that people start seeing the convenience. One thing we're noticing with society generally is we're really busy. And we've unfortunately, with you know access to social media and uh, you know Facebook Messenger, uh, LinkedIn Messenger, I mean, we're being bombarded from all avenues uh, uh, you know, with information and people. And uh, you know, as I, I think that what that results in is we've got less time to do things. And um, you know, with families that are really, really time-starved, probably going to start seeing the time benefits of uh, you know being able to either pick up or have groceries delivered versus getting them themselves. And I think that you know consumers change over time, or what they do changes. And you know, we said, for example, people wouldn't order shoes online, and yet it's one of the uh, you know fastest-growing categories online for sales. I've bought many pairs of shoes online, and these are something like even three years ago I said I would never do. Mm, <laughs> so yeah, I'm I, with you. I, I think. Yeah, no, I, I think that, you know, consumers can, you know, change their behavior. And uh, at some point, I think for staples, like maybe people will still go to a fruit market, perhaps, if they've got the time and the inclination. For myself, I'm, I'm at that point where I'm thinking, well, geez, I mean, maybe they would do as good or better of a job than I would at picking out uh, fruits and vegetables. Maybe this is something to consider. So I think that if it's done right, uh, there's a lot of opportunity for disruption in grocery right now. And uh, this, again, could signal another societal change. And it's interesting how retail can actually reflect, uh, you know, changes in the broader, uh, uh, well, in consumer behavior and, uh, you know, society in general, because, you know, we are a consumer society. I just think about all the people wearing backpacks on bicycles as they deliver, uh, as they deliver, say, dinners to people's homes, as opposed to like people going to restaurants now. It's just kind of this big wave that has swept over us in a very, very short period of time. Yeah, and you know, people will still go to restaurants as well. I mean, it's a social experience, so you know, there'll always be restaurants. I think I don't think people are going to sit in their homes all the time and eat, but. We are, yeah, we are seeing major changes, and uh, it's, it's how we eat, how we socialize, and you know how we consume. But uh, just not to be too too prickly about this whole thing, I'm just wondering what happens if the delivery comes and I'm not there to pick up my groceries. Uh, maybe I get home from work. I'm starving. Maybe I have to go to the grocery store anyways. I, I don't know. Maybe I just am hanging on to any hope possible that uh, I don't have to give up those grocery trips. But as you say, Craig, maybe it's the convenience factor that's going to be the big deciding factor for people. 
And I think there'll still be some grocery stores. I don't think we'll see them go, but uh, I do think that we'll see things change. There's smaller format grocery stores that are uh, expanding. I know in downtown Toronto and I'll probably move around the country, Fresh City Farms is, you know, a 2,000 square foot type of uh, format. And they've got uh, primarily produce and some organic items and whatnot. And it really is a place to sort of top up or to, you know, pick up some necessities and whatnot. So I wouldn't say it's a convenience store, but it's, uh, you know, a small format kind of organic grocery store. But I think we'll start seeing more of that sort of uh, grocery concept in our cities. And it makes sense because it's a lot easier to find a 2,000 square foot space than you know, a 200,000 square foot space. That's very true. Uh, look, as we wrap up here, I think everybody is wanting maybe a, an update on Tim Hortons. We do this every once in a while. And right now that they're testing the Beyond Meat breakfast sandwiches in Toronto, I'm a little bit left behind on this. I know this is all the rage right now, but tell me a little bit about what the appeal is uh, with regards to these uh, plant-based sort of meat patties that people are into. It's becoming a big trend uh, beyond meat and as a competitor, I forget the name, but uh, they sort of almost come out of nowhere and they've gotten a lot of press coverage and they've uh, launched a fairly aggressive expansion you know, into grocery stores as well as to food uh, uh, you know, re- or restaurants such as Tim Hortons and, uh, you know, A&W, of course, as well. I think that's where it kind of started. So uh, it's, it's, it's interesting because, you know, for a very long time, meat has been a, a substantial part of, you know, our diets in Canada. And it seems like there's a bit of a movement away from that. And whether or not people will get, you know, move completely away from meat, I, I don't know. I mean, there's certain, I think, health benefits, uh, I think, were made to be we were made to eat meat as well to a degree as human beings, which is, you know, interesting. But uh, no, I think that people are sort of reevaluating their diets and they're reevaluating, uh, you know, how, where their food comes from. And, uh, you know, large farms with a lot of cattle, uh, you know, it's not known as being best for the environment. And uh, with that, you know, I, I don't know, again, what will the future look like if we don't have, if we're not eating cows <laughs> or other, yeah. you know, other, ad, other animals. I mean, urban agriculture would change uh uh, you know, substantially. I, I don't know. I mean, perhaps that would be for the better, but uh, nevertheless, for, and I, you know, we don't want to speak to a nutritionist whether or not we can live without meat. Someone I know who's vegan has to take B12 shots by yeah. uh, inject, injection, and I don't like needles, so I wouldn't want to have to do that. So I'd be <laughs> curious, to, <laughs> curious to know if there's ways around that. Yeah, I just think about, you know, first time I had a veggie burger, you know, like maybe 20 years ago, uh, wasn't the most delicious thing that I, I could have had, but we've come a long way since then. Because the other thing is, I mean, these things are supposed to taste quite close to the real thing, right? Yeah, I'm curious. I haven't tried one yet, and uh, maybe I should do that today, actually. Yeah. There's a place not too far from me that has it, because uh, no, I, I'm curious as well. I've certainly had the veggie burgers from, you know, decades past, and eh, I don't know, they haven't really tasted like, They weren't bad, they just didn't taste like beef. Yeah. <laughs> from what I recall, so you know, so yeah, they're able to, to replicate this thing, and then meat as well. I don't quite know how far along that is currently because there's some setbacks, but um, you know, they're developing these. Uh, uh, I think they're using DNA strands to create proteins, which would mimic meat. So you know, we may actually have that kind of meat in our diet. It would just not be actually from animals that were alive, <laughs> basically, to, to put it that way. So. Um, you know, again, there are other innovations coming up and, you know, Beyond Meat, I think, is vegetable-based and there may be others that are, you know, uh, protein-based that, uh, you know, are synthesized. So, you know, we'll see how far along that comes. But there were some studies out there that showed that people would be a little bit antsy to eat that, which I don't really know why, uh, honestly. But, um, you know, again, I think consumer uh, taste can change over time. So, you know, I would say give it time and if these concepts develop uh, 
something that's, you know, able to be distributed and actually tastes good and maybe is healthy to boot, then, you know, these concepts may take off. And I, I should also point out that I inaccurately described it as plant-based meat. Of course, it's not actually meat, though. So I, I just want to make sure everyone knows that I, I realize the distinction there. But perhaps more significantly for Tim Hortons, they are being a little bit more open about plans for global expansion, specifically with China. They have three outlets in China right now. Craig, what is your thought on this, though? Is, you know, I guess that quintessentially Canadian culture really going to translate across the Pacific, especially considering how cold the relationship is between the two countries right now? Oh, we're in a complicated situation still. And I know we talked about it for a few weeks. Uh, I think that the United States, though, is going to start taking or start bearing the brunt of the, you know, Chinese uh, conflict that we've had over the last while, because, you know, now there's a trade war with the United States. And, uh, you know, President Trump and others are saying that, you know, Huawei uh, can't be on the 5G system, which is going to be hugely prejudicial to the company. So, you know, I think the U.S. is going to start looking like the bad guy more than Canada, even though we arrested, you know, the daughter or the founder of us, you know, and the CFO of Huawei, um, you know, so maybe we won't look quite as bad to the Chinese market. But nevertheless, you know, I think that there was a call for a boycott from Chinese media. There was actually a publication in there and you can find it online that uh, I think it's China Daily or something. I forget what it's called. But, um, you know, they were suggesting they were saying, oh, well, you know, they're appears to be a boycott. And basically, you know, reading between the lines, they're encouraging a boycott. <laughs> so when you have, you know, a major media source run by the government saying that you shouldn't do something, you know, I'm sure a lot of people are taking notice. So Canada's reputation has been, uh, uh, I think, hurt a little bit. Uh, it, I think it remains to be seen. I mean, Tim Hortons, I think, is just closed its locations in Minnesota, and that's not even that far from Canada. So if that hasn't been working out, I don't know how China's going to work. They're really going to have to work on that marketing. But Canada has a really interesting, you know, per, you know, it's perceived interestingly on the global scale. I mean, we're selling our air in aerosol cans uh, from the Rocky Mountains. And I think we have this sort of, you know, healthy, uh, friendly reputation that may actually translate into Tim Hortons being successful overseas because it's, it's a unique concept that sort of speaks to a different society. Well, do you think that China is maybe the right market for it? Because I, I just wonder if there's more affinity in other markets, say, I don't know, like, say, uh, South Korea, where, you know, coffee culture is huge, and Tim is known for its coffee. Uh, I think reviews vary on how good the coffee is. I'm, I'm just wondering, what do you think the thought process is on uh, restaurant brands, I guess, looking towards mainland China as one of their big expansion points? I think it's pretty risky. Uh, I mean, China is a very different market than, say, Australia. And, uh, you know, I would guess I would have been tempted to move into an English-speaking market, maybe more because I'm English-speaking and I would, you know, have a bit of an idea, you know, culturally, it's, uh, you know, Australia would be sim very much similar to Canada. And then, you know, as you pointed out, there are coffee cultures in certain countries that might embrace Tim Hortons. I mean, you know, China is known for drinking tea, so it's they're really looking to shift, uh, you know, consumer tastes uh, uh, with Tim Hortons, and there's there's a lot of competition. I mean, you know, Starbucks uh, wanted to expand in a big way there, and there's another coffee concept actually based out of China. They're coming to North America, interestingly enough, and they're bigger than Starbucks. So coffee is becoming more of a uh, uh, consumer beverage in China, which is good for Tim Hortons. But uh, nevertheless, there are also competitors coming up. And uh, uh, but at the same time, it's a really big market with literally over a billion people. Yeah, I, I know I'm putting you on the spot just a little bit, but I, we do know that 
Tim Hortons did expand into the United Kingdom. Do, do you have a sense on how well that's been received, or is it still maybe a little too early to tell at this point? I'd have to look into that a bit, because uh, in terms of an expansion into the UK, that would, I mean, it depends on, you know, the competition. I mean, the UK is very saturated with all kinds of food and beverage concepts. They've they come out with a lot of them that expand around the world. But, uh, you know, I mean, Canada is known in the UK. And, uh, you know, we're, we're almost like the UK's baby, you know. <laughs> sure. Canada was, you know, from a, you know, British colony, and, you know, we've got a history and, uh, you know, that is a place where you could play up the Canadian heritage. And I think people might be interested because it's almost like a, a taste of uh, something that your child has made. Maybe that's a terrible analogy, but, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but you know, I, I think that, you know, we have, of course, we have a favorable relationship with the UK. I mean, uh, uh, you know, given our history and whatnot, uh, yeah, I would have expanded there. But, but whether or not, you know, the messaging is going to resonate with the consumer because, you know, it's a different market still. People, you know, live a little differently. It's higher density, fewer cars. Uh, uh, and then, you know, different uh, tastes. People, you know, do eat things a little bit differently, say in the UK. But I would definitely have expanded there before China just for the lack of risk overall. And with all this talk about, you know, maybe quintessentially Canadian culture translating to other countries, it, it is worth pointing out Um Tim Hortons, not a Canadian company anymore. It hasn't been so for a number of years at this point. So I, I don't know what, you know, if it's even necessary for Tim Hortons to hang on to that Canadian cultural sort of heritage that it's at least built up here in Canada, especially if it's looking to expand overseas. It probably should, though. I think Canada has a good reputation overall, and I think it's an extra way to play on a brand. Roots, I think, is similar. You know, Roots is not you know, owned by the Canadian government, but it certainly has a connotation to being Canadian. And, you know, it is expanding. It just opened its largest store in the world in Chicago uh, earlier this week. So, um, yeah, no, I mean, it's interesting because we still see Tim Hortons as Canadian, even though it's not technically Canadian owned. But I think it's so ingrained in the psyche of Canada, you know, over the past few generations here that some people probably don't even know it's not Canadian. I still look at it as a Canadian brand uh, myself, even though, you know, it isn't headquartered in Canada. It's just, it was developed here and it's where it's successful. And, uh, you know, they're still playing on uh, some of the local branding. So it, I don't know, this is an example of a company that isn't necessarily owned uh, in Canada, but I think we still consider it to be our own. Well, kind of like some sports teams, perhaps. I get, yeah, I get it. <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe uh, some of the Vancouver people are still cheering for like the Grizzlies down in the United States uh, when it comes uh, time for the NBA season to kick off. <laughs> Anyway, uh, Craig, always a pleasure. Thanks for joining us on the show. Thank you for having me. That's Craig Patterson, Editor-in-Chief at RetailInsider.com. And that's it for the show today. We'll be back tomorrow. You can find our archives on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. Share with your friends. It's going to help us reach more people. For now, I'm Tyler Orton. Thanks for joining us.